I'm a growth person. I wanted to quit my full-time job and that meant that I needed cash flow. We bought over 240 units and once I had my global portfolio, the cool thing is it does get easier. It's literally making it a win-win. We're here to empower high income earners to gain back control of your time through financial independence and stop trading your time for money and start letting your money work harder for you. And hey, if you want to meet other high income earners on their FIRE journey, join our High Income Earners FIRE Facebook group. Every month we'll have guest speakers and we'll share about what our team is currently working on and allow you to share what you are working on with other high income earners. High Income Earners FIRE podcast is brought to you today by Bonavest Capital, where we partner with investors to build up passive income through real estate syndications and start living a lifestyle by design. As well as Say Yes Stock Option Investing, where we show high income earners how to generate consistent cash flow with your phone and accelerate your journey to financial freedom. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the High Income Earners Fire Podcast. I am your co-host, Cody Ye. Again, my co-host, Aline Prack from Orange County, California is not here today, but we wish she'll be back really soon. Today, we have a really interesting guest who's expert in creative financing. A lot of our audience or people who are listening to this live already heard about Mel and Dave investing, and they was able to buy a lot of properties with all their own money, without the joint ventures and all that. And I don't want to butcher their story. So I'm just going to welcome Mel here and let her tell us their stories. Okay. Welcome, Mel. Yes. Thank you so much. So Dave and I, we are full-time real estate investors. We specialize in buying properties using never own money and without joint venture partners. Now that means that we keep 100% of the cash flow, the appreciation, the equity, and there's really no sharing, right? It's uh, We have three kids, so it's really nice because we really wanted to pass that on to our children. So yeah, we were able to grow portfolio. We bought throughout the years over 240 units. We're doing that in five countries as well. So these mm -hmm. strategies are applicable not only in Canada and the US, but we're also doing it in Mexico, in Costa Rica, and Dominican mm -hmm. Republic as well. Mm -hmm. Since we're talking about buying five countries, can you let us know, because most of our listeners are probably in Canada or US, can you let us know what's the difference of using your strategy to buy in Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, and Mexico comparing yes. to the US and Canada? Yeah, it's just really, I mean, for example, Costa Rica, there's no financial institution there, right? Like there would be in Canada or the US. Um, so it's just putting the creative into creative financing. So I was actually in creative, <laughs> creative financing okay yeah, yeah exactly so i was uh, i'm actually located in ontario so we were about a year and a half ago in ontario we purchased a property in uh, costa rica and that was owner finance so we negotiated the deal we did our due diligence all of that and the first place was the owner since there's no financial institution so was the owner held part of the financing the second mortgage if you want to call it that way or the deposit <laughs> was by promissory note and yeah, we were able to buy that property and it's neat because not only are we able to get into the deal with none of our own money, cash flow from the money coming in as short-term rental in this case, although we do a lot of multifamily and now we're able actually on Saturday, we're flying out after my son's hockey game to go to our, to our condo, right? Got to check up on our properties. Life is tough um, as an investor, right? But yeah, these strategies are applicable in different areas. Mm -hmm. um, since you talk about seller financing, and sometimes using some registers, funds, and promissory notes. Where are these promissory notes coming from? Because you say you, there's no joint venture. So are you just raising cap? Well, I wouldn't say use the word raising capital. You're basically just borrowing money based on promissory notes. 
right? Yeah, that, exactly. So that's one strategy. And well, that was my roadblock when I first started. I thought, well, I don't know anyone with a lot of money. I don't have a rich uncle or anything like that. How mm-hmm. am I going to raise funds? It's literally making it a win-win, number one. Number two, finding a good deal with a build-in exit strategy when you show people how you're going to be paying them back. That's crucial. You need to know that as an investor before you enter the deal, how you can pay them back. They're going to want to know that as well. And typically, no, typically it's not friends and family for myself and, and the majority of my students. It's just really because most of us don't have those connections that are family or they may not even want to lend to us to not mix things together, right? So it's literally making it a win-win. It could be anyone. It could be one, it could be the dentist assistant. It could be a neighbor's friend. It could be literally anyone who believes in real estate. Not everybody wants to do what I'm doing and buying properties and overseeing the property managers and all that, right? Some people just want to invest very passively. And this is a great way to do it. And when you make it a win-win, they get to benefit from that as well. Mm-hmm. And since the interest rate has rised probably 3% or more, what are the promissory notes that if anyone's interested, just give us a range of things that you guys are paying out. What's your percentage that you guys are paying out and what's your terms usually look like for promissory yeah. notes? Yeah, for promissory note more specifically, I mean, it depends. I've paid lower interest, five, six, seven percent. I've paid double digits as, as well. And I think this is where it's crucial as an investor that you're not just focusing on the interest amount. Of course, yes, I'd rather pay lower interest, but in between owner financing and using secured funds like RSPs or 401k if you're from the States or promissory note, I've paid anywhere from 0% interest to 3%, 5%, 7% to double digits. And I'm okay with that because it was the actual deal. Every deal is different and bigger picture. Of course, I'd rather not pay as high interest. However, if I can still cash flow from day one, if my financial ratio still makes sense, if I have a built-in exit strategy where I'm able to know how I'm going to pay them back and I can show them how I can pay them back and I'm going to make a whole lot of money from the deal, I'm okay to like go a little bit of a piece of the pie to the lender and really create that win-win with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about like kind of the high 10,000 feet level of your creative financing, where just, I know you have a masterclass, all that. Can you give us like 10,000 views of what that looks like? Like there's a first position, second position. How are you able to help a lot of people buying properties without raising capital, without joint venture? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And you still have to raise funds, but you don't have to do it in the form of a joint venture partner where you're giving half of the equity and appreciation. Mm-hmm and ownership and all those kind of things. So essentially we use three different methods. So the first one is seller financing or vendor take back or owner financing. These are all the same terms where the owner or the seller holds part of the financing on your behalf. So you know, that way you don't have to come up with hundreds of thousands or 80K or 50K or whatever that mm-hmm. amount would be for the down payment, because that's essentially typically what I raise the financial institution. In first place, I go to a mortgage institution who's open to creative financing. If you're going to the five banks, they're probably going to say no. So you want to be lenders, C lenders. Exactly. Yeah. Usually B lenders. Exactly. And second, and again, not always, there's so many different ways we can do that. Sometimes I don't even go to financial institution at all, right? Kind of Costa Rica, but Mm -hmm. to keep it simple, typically the majority of my deal, exactly. First mortgage, would be with a investor focused mortgage broker who's open to creative financing. And then second place could be the owner, for example, who has equity in their place. Instead of me coming up with that 20, 25% down, they lend me the money. And this is so powerful, like just that alone. And I mean, there's promissory notes you can use for renovations or even down payment or closing costs. There's secured funds like RSPs or 401k that you can use as well. But often I get asked the question, well, Mel, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would any owner 
who you don't even know lend you money on this? And, and the, the answer is very simple here. The answer is because it benefits them, right? Everybody who's in business or who has properties, we're in it, of course, a big portion of it is for the freedom and those things, but it's also because it benefits them financially. So for example, I might give them the closing date that they're looking for, right? Different bracket years can make a difference when it comes to taxes. I might give them the purchase price that they're after if the deal makes financial sense. Capital gains. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a huge reason why people do that because again, and then they have an asset that they no longer have to worry about, no tenants, no property managers, nothing else. And they're still making an interest on it as well. Like I have sold four of our properties, for example, and on those four properties, I'm holding financing on them. So it's pretty neat because I got into the asset using that of my own money. I cash flowed from day one. We refinanced it at one point, pulled some money out, paid mm-hmm. back the lenders, hung on to it for a little longer. Now we sold them and we're actually on the opposite side. We're holding financing and it helps from capital gains and I'm still making interest and I'm not even having that property. I don't have that property anymore, right? So those are the reasons why people are often open to creative financing. Of course, not everybody will be. You will definitely get some no's. And if you want to be a successful real estate investor using creative financing, that's just something you have to get used to. And it's really nothing bad. It just means it's not what they're looking for, right? Not everybody wants to hold financing either. Mm-hmm. And I know because you're creative financing, depending on what's the interest rate you're carrying on, usually the promissory notes is a higher interest rate as well. So you do have an exit plan of refinance at the end, right? Exactly, yeah. So does that refinance plan was impacted since March 2022 because of the interest rate going up. Does that impact your refinance at all? Well, we underwrite the deal extremely conservatively, right? So the whole stress test that everybody's been stressed about, we've been doing that for years, right? So we underwrite deals very carefully. We like to declare ourselves as an onion, right? We like having lots of multiple layer of protection. So no, it hasn't changed anything for us because we've been doing it strategically from day one, right? Lots of layers of protection. I don't just ask if I think I can do a deal in one year. I don't just ask for a year, for example. I have lots of different layers uh, for that as well. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to with the interest rates going up in the real estate world, of course, well, that also comes with a whole lot more owners who may not be selling their property that they, they want to get out of it. And I'll I'll speak with them. We'll make it a win-win. I'll show them I built an exit strategy. And now they're open to holding financing as well. So it's also creating some opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. That's really smart. So is that still the same for properties? Again, coming back to Mexico, Costa Rica, and Dominican Republic, because the financing from the banks are a little bit different there, right? So is that still the same strategy? Or what is your goal when you buy properties in those tropical countries? It is a bit of a different play because there's no financial bank here that you're just going to go, okay, Mm -hmm. refinance and pay out. So for example, we bought three places in Costa Rica and some of them, just because we're investing in markets that make sense, we knew that they were going to increase in value over time. Or I actually bought some where we actually, we did more or less a burr on it, where we did some, well, we didn't, but my team in Costa Rica did some renovations and redecorated and all those things has naturally increased in value. So for example, I could sell one of those properties if I decide and pay off the other lender. So there's different ways. It's probably what, you know, for the majority of my students, I don't recommend that they necessarily start with that. I mean, what I started was with multifamily, duplex, a triplex, a 17plex, a 50plex, a 6plex, and different sizes. And once I had my global portfolio, the cool thing is it does get easier, right? Because now I have all this money in different properties that if I want, I could use some of this 
to pay off the other, right? You get that equity and put it back to work. So I'm in a situation where we're able to do those kind of things. If somebody is getting started and they don't have that exit, they probably just wouldn't have that exit plan unless they have some backup money. So typically would be, yeah, go buy your first property because you have to consider those kind of things, especially when you're looking in different countries. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing, like you say you have 240 units. Do you mind sharing, like what's the majority of the units in? Which country and all that yeah. kind of? Yeah, so we've bought over 240 units. Of course, we've sold some of them throughout the years. It's funny, I used to think that I wanted a thousand units. That was my goal. <laughs> and then as I grew my portfolio, I decided that's really, I, don't, I think that was more my ego, but I realized that's not what I want. I'm more than fine with all the properties that we have. And now we're doing different things, right? Sometimes I'll sell one and I'll, maybe I'll go in a different country and it's really passive in that sense, right? So the majority of the properties that we bought, though, are definitely multifamily properties that's our bread and butter we are to in canada in ontario we're in canada oh ontario okay yeah, is it in like primary secondary no, tertiary? Sec- yeah secondary market so i'm located in north bay so it's definitely in a secondary market the majority of our properties north um, bay yeah okay yeah because I wanted to quit my full-time job right so Dave and I we both used to work full-time we both wanted to quit our full-time jobs and that meant that I needed cash flow, right? So there's different play. And, and this is where investors sometimes say, well, I only want to invest in my market. Okay, that's fine. But your play might be a little bit more on appreciation as opposed to the cash flow, monthly cash flow that's coming in for us. It was really important. I want to quit my job, three kids, I want to spend more time with them. So investing in markets that made financial sense where I can get more revenue. And that's what we ended up doing, right? Many of my students, some are staying local because that's their comfort level and that's completely fine as well. Many of them though are starting to go cross-provincially within Canada and more and more in the States and some are going like we are in different countries too. Mm -hmm. And definitely you said that in the beginning, you're just trying to collect Pokemons. You're trying to have a thousand units. You thought that was cool, which a lot of real estate investors start with that. But then you soon realize that more units doesn't mean more cash flow. More units doesn't mean more freedom, right? There is a balance of it. There's a give and take. So what are you doing differently comparing to when you first started? What kind of property are you looking at? What are the things that you're looking at now? Uh, I mean, things I'm doing differently is definitely being way more hands-off. I used to be very, very hands-on. Like I used to do all my property management. We had 76 stores and I was still doing my own viewings and the screening. Oh like we were busy. Yeah, no, it was, I don't recommend that to anyone. However, I'm so glad I did because it definitely helped me to mm-hmm. really point out good tenants, bad tenants in our system. You know how to manage your team. Period. Exactly. So right. then I was able to do that. And then we ended up doing all property management in our own internal team. And now we just outsource everything so we can be even more passive. Uh, so that's definitely something that changed. When it comes to the strategies, I mean, that did not change. The owner financing, promissory notes, mm-hmm. using secured funds, we continue to do that as well. So that hasn't changed. We've been underwriting deal very conservatively from before we first started. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't changed as well. And there's been a few things that changed, like refinancing, for example, financial institutions before they, they used to want to or allow refinancing within a year or less and now they've tightened that up since COVID. Mm-hmm. So certain things have changed, but overall the strategies haven't, but our team has built, right? Being able to, of course, with those units and the cash flow and those kind of things, being able to really build our team up so we can travel and we I mean we're always we're always traveling if you're following us on social media I'm sure you'll see that we often travel either well, often typically with the kids right so and those kind of things and have that flexibility in our schedule to do what we want and we're able to do that because I have other people behind the scenes running the show essentially 
Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks for answering that. So do you mind sharing what your team look like to manage? I know 240 units, some of the way you sold, but day one, you were doing everything yourself and Dave. What does your team look like right now? Not on the coaching side, but just the real estate property side. What yeah, does that the, team look like? Yeah. On the real estate side, I mean, can you even back? Tried even more, right? Just starting off by getting a cleaner at home, right? <laughs> Which I don't have to worry about that. Like those little things, like somebody doing the snow plowing, somebody doing the yard maintenance and the flowers and those kind of things. Well, that saves me time. On a business side, uh, somebody helping me with my social media, where we post tons of content every single day on our social media. So my team helping me with that, my marketing team, my property managers, when it comes to different countries. So I have different property managers into different areas that we are investing in. And then I have a property management lead that oversees them and then they report to me, right? So kind of like, I mean, it wasn't like this from the beginning, right? This is something we kind of built yeah. as we grew. Do you have a number? Like how big is your team now? <sighs> oh gosh, I, I don't even know, but <laughs> I have to start counting. Okay. But like we just hired three additional people this month. So as we're growing, we're definitely continuing to grow our team members. I mean, there's a financial department, right? Financial controller. I have multiple bookkeepers. So there's a lot of different aspects that goes into it as well behind the scenes. People even to do, you know, when we do podcasts or edit afterwards and those kind of things, right? So, cool. but that's a cool thing. And this is something as an investor, if you're an investor, you don't have to worry about all this from day one, right? As you grow, you'll know which one, which task do you either really, really don't want doing, want to do and what can you delegate? Like for me, it was, I remember cleaning. I mean, we used to clean our own units, right? I didn't have a lot of money when I started. And I remember having to pay somebody the first 80 bucks to get the place clean. And it was tough to let go of that $80 at the beginning because we didn't have a lot of funds. But then realizing that, wait a second, during that time, I was able to do this instead or, you know, just uh, whether it was a, an activity I want to do or maybe I spent time finding a deal that's going to make me 150 k in a year or two, right? And it's really thinking as a bigger return investment on your own time, whether it's just to live your best fulfilled life or from financial perspective as well. Gotcha. Thanks for answering that. Someone in the audience, this is my first time doing an Instagram live with people asking questions. This question, I think a lot of people will be interested as well is what does underwriting conservatively mean? So you say you put in a lot of layers. I think a key question people want to ask is what are the interest rate you guys are underwriting at? So do you mind sharing that? Yeah. And honestly, I'd be lying if I said I'm underwriting at that. It depends on the deal. Like it could be every single deal is different because every single deal has a different thing. So what I would say is that you shouldn't have a cookie cutaway of everything because that's unrealistic. Every single deal is going to perform differently. I might have one deal where I don't have to put any money into it. And, but the cash flow is not as high, but I'm going to, I know that it's in a market where it can appreciate more. I might have another, another deal where I'm not cash flowing from day one, but if I put 50K into it, I can, over time, increase its value when people move out, those kind of things, and it's going to go up in value. So it's really deal per deal. Like we use our matrix. It has a four-way pillar. These are all based around the financial ratios that we use. So that's my number one indicator. And it's literally, is it green or red? So I'm able to analyze lots of deals really, really easily because it does the calculation for me. And then of course, because I'm using other people's money, on the other side has the exit strategy. So that's how we underwrite the deals. It's really not magic. No, always put this number. It depends on what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the answer. I know a lot of the coaches out there for the past year, 
definitely there's overall and the portfolio most of them are very successful there's going to be one or two deals that kind of lagging and all that so do you mind keeping it real for us whether it's your own deal or some of your students deal that kind of went wrong can you share some of the story of that yeah like i'll use myself as an example it wasn't really the deal with creative financing but it's not knowing what I don't know. Right? When I first started my first property that I ever purchased, for example, I thought I was genius. I thought I bought it with an agent. It was nice, fairly nice upstairs. The downstairs was empty. It was down to the studs. I'm going to beautify it. I'm going to rent it out, put a single bedroom. So we did all the renovations, got it rented. Everything was awesome. I actually lived in that apartment with Dave and my two girls when I was six months pregnant in between transition wow. of houses. So everything was great until one day I get a note from the city saying, you are illegally zoned. We're going to be shutting you down. Like you can't be renting this unit. And I went, what? And I just, I didn't know what you don't know. Right. And so we ended up having to reconvert it into a single dwelling as opposed to duplex. And then at that point, it just didn't make financial sense to keep it anymore because I wasn't my original plan land. So I ended up selling it. So these little mistakes can be really, really costly. So yeah, that's definitely one mistake that starting off. So that's kind of like a legal duplex kind of thing. Exactly. Um, Except it wasn't legal. It was just, so I didn't realize that this, I thought, okay, the agent said I can do this. They weren't investor focused. I didn't mm-hmm. do my proper research. I didn't know what I didn't know. And yeah, and it wasn't zoned legally. But if things aren't zoned legally, you can definitely get yourself in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I mean, I didn't have it. There was nothing legal or anything. I, I got the letter. I'm like, okay, well, we need to fix this ASAP. And that's when I said, I need a bit of time. We're going to be converted back to a single house instead and get it sold. Let's get it uh, yeah, sold. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Before we go into our fire rounds, one last question I want to ask you is, what's your outlook for 2023? I know investors as a long-term outlook, but a lot of people are worried about, a lot of people might just have one property like, Cody, I want to know the outlook of the real estate market in Canada or in Ontario. Again, it's very specific, very localized, but where you guys invest in North Bay and anywhere else in Ontario you guys heavily invest in other than North Bay? I mean, that was primarily now since then. And I think that was my own limited beliefs that I had to invest where I'm close by. But now you guys live in North Bay? Yeah, we're in North Bay. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we're not too far. We're going to Toronto. We're flying out to Toronto on uh, on Saturday to to fly out. But yeah, so it, it was essentially at first, yes, investing local now. Yeah, just different countries just because we do love traveling and those kind of things. In the States, we're looking at places where it's more investor focused, uh, a little bit more landlord friendly, for example. Rest state? Other rest state? Like, yeah, like say Florida or Texas, for example, right? Just where it's just a little bit more fair when it comes to the rules. And of course, where cash flow is best, right? Mm-hmm. And what is that going for in 2023? Have you guys have like constant students come in and all that. And where are you steering them to in 2023? I say, if they started right now, where should they buy and why? Yeah. And honestly, I don't say you have to invest in this area specifically because some people are just not comfortable with that. I mean, my number one guidance would be return where returns are best because financially it makes sense to do so. However, if I can say that all day long, but they don't feel comfortable yet because they want something they can drive to or live in. My second best choice would be we'll try to see if you can get something fairly close. Maybe it's only 45 minutes away, but you can get that extra cash flow coming in. 
It also depends on the case scenario of each individual. I can have somebody come in the program and they have a million dollars in their bank account, but they still want to grow their portfolio. They still want to use creative financing, those kind of things, but they don't care as much about cash flow. That's not their end goal. They're looking after appreciation. Well, then we're going to invest in places where it's more about the appreciation, not necessarily the cash flow. So it's really breaking down, like reverse it. We have a whole reverse engineering section, but of your goals, it's really identifying that, right? Because your goals might be completely different than mine, completely different than somebody else, right? One person will be really happy with a duplex. Somebody else, they don't want the duplex. They only want the big ones. And somebody else will be like me. And one year I bought a 50 plex and I bought a piece of land and I bought a triplex. And my strategy was I look at lots of deals and I out of all the deals, I pick the best one, right? But everybody will have different preferences and it's really making it work based on their personal goals. Mm -hmm. And what are your goals or Dave's goals or your family goal? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is, is kind of to keep doing what we're doing. We have a lot of flexibility now. We we're both able to quit our full-time jobs a couple of years ago. So we want to definitely continue to yeah, just be there for kids, uh, activities and traveling and those kind of things. When it comes to actual real estate investing, continuing to diversify different markets that we're going into. I do love investing in the States. That USD money is beautiful. It's very strong, um, so right? Yeah. Continue one to, to one million that. conversion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right? Yeah, not quite, but uh, pretty, it's up there. And we're just in the very preliminary stages of creating a fund as well, where uh, people will be able to invest with us into the fund type of thing. So that's very preliminary, but a side project that we're yeah. working on the team as well. Yeah. We're talking about that in a hedge fund space and the real estate fund. Again, this is just testing water laws. We're not talking anything, we're not pitching anything, but what would your future fund or in planning, what would that look like? That What would your main strategy be? And honestly, I don't want to dive in too much right now, just because we're in communications with for different people and lawyers and coach and all those kind of things. And it's that preliminary as of right now. I just don't want to say one thing and it changes direction, but it will definitely be, of course, into the multifamily, right? That's what we specialize in. Oh, cool. Okay. Any other things you want to add before I go into the fire round of five questions that keep you on your toe? Yeah, I think I'm ready for it. I'm going to make you sweat a little bit here. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> okay. First question is, if you become a billionaire tomorrow, what will your day look like? I'm not a billionaire yet. My days would look a lot like what I'm doing now. Like, hey, we're in a position where we do have a lot of freedom right now. I'm able to do the sauna and do the workout and get my kids off to school. And then I do a little bit of work and then I'm home in time for my kids and those kind of things. So I would say probably even more of that, even adding in a couple, even more team members in there because I'm a growth person. Sitting on a beach is amazing and we do that a lot. But after a couple of weeks of that, I need to, I want to continue to change lives. We're on a mission. We've help hundreds of students uh, change their life. We want to continue to do that. So I still need purpose. Probably having some connections if I'm a billionaire, I'm sure I'd have some pretty cool connections as well where I can have some pretty unique conversations and go on even bigger, amazing trips as I travel the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. And just a side question. Between you and Dave, who's the go-getter? We both are. We're very, I mean, Dave definitely thinks bigger than me. Although I'm a very big thinker as well, but Dave is just at a whole different level. He'll come up with a hundred ideas. So he's definitely the big thinker of, of the company. And I'm more of like, all these amazing ideas are great, 
how are we going to have systems and strategies around then to, to build that out type of thing? So um, we're both very big thinkers. If I were to pick, though, I would say uh, Dave is, is definitely the lead on that. And sometimes like, Caleb, let's do it, but let's make sure we do this, this, this and this type of thing. Yeah, to make you're, sure more, you're more of the, uh, Dave is a visionary and you're more of the integrator. Exactly. More yeah. of the integrator piece. Yeah. Cool. Second question for you is if you lose everything. 240 units or some of the units you sold right now, you lose all your coaching students and all that, but I drop you with $500,000. You still have your reputation and all that. What will you do right now to start over again? I would buy rental properties, multifamily properties in heartbeat. Bigger than four or five plex, like commercial side of things? Not necessarily whatever makes financial sense. So if I have 500K to spend, I would definitely not use it to buy just a few properties i would use creative financing do it wisely strategically and leverage that 500k amongst a lot of properties right in case i need to call a plumber or if a tenant doesn't pay rent or something some backup money but i would use creative financing like it'd be if somebody's starting off and they have that much money they're really good position because yeah you can do the same thing do it properly and not use that for one property or three or five properties because then then you're stuck again for a couple of years leverage it amongst many many properties Mm-hmm. Cool. And if you are a podcast host, I know you guys have a podcast as well. I'm not sure if you guys have any guests on, right? No, right? I th- no, we have our students from time to time, but yeah, it's pretty much even I yeah. If you're a podcast host, you're gonna invite guests on. Who would you like to interview? Oh my gosh. I love Oprah. So I didn't get if I could invite anyone. Maybe if I were somebody a billionaire, I'd have those connections. So Oprah, Grant Cardone's amazing. I'd love to, and Robert Kiyosaki. His book changed uh, our lives, really. So yeah, those would be my top three uh, people that I'd love to have. Got it, got it. And what are some of the ways that you guys are giving back, planning to give back? Yeah, I mean, and this is where a lot of different things. I mean, we do charities, of course. I had a very, very ill daughter at SickKids when she was a baby. So we're big donors um, at SickKids, for example. And really just giving back to our Action Family and our community inside the Action Family, showing them how to do it. So they can go and, and learn how to do it themselves and take the knowledge and create the freedom. And we were just at a conference. We were speaking with uh, Michelle Romano from Dragon's Den this weekend, for example. And a few of my students, well, many, many of our students, but, you know, a couple of stories, like some people are buying Dominican and thanking us and you changed my life. And, you know, somebody told me, and we're both crying a lot, of course, when she told me this, but, you know, said, you helped me so much. You changed my life. I retired my mom and I retired my dad. And so it has her husband, like those kind of things. It's just incredible to me to provide, to not just talk the talk. And yeah, we have mentoring program, but it's way more than that. We show up, Dave hasn't missed a single session since we started. We guide them through the process, right? So just continuing to help them as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How can more of our audience find you? Yeah, well, we're all over social media. So if you haven't followed us yet there, we're around, I don't know, getting close to 400,000 followers amongst all platforms. So we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on YouTube, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. And it's always Investor Mel Dave. So Investor Mel Dave on all platforms. So if you go and follow us there, you'll see different content in different uh, platforms. That's great. Great. Any last word of wisdom you want to let our audience know before we say bye? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Like if you're a real estate investor and you want to do this, you've been thinking about doing this, or maybe you have already and you're stuck and you want to get to that next level, like all you need, and and I'll call it my triangle success. All you need is literally the triangle success, which is knowledge, resources, and action. You need the right people. You need the right community. 
you need the knowledge, right? You should probably, if you're going to be buying hundreds of thousands of dollars of real estate, if not millions, of course, as you grow, you should probably know what you're doing properly, right? So finding a coach that you know, that's been there, that has proven results that you know, like, and trust. And also the action piece, right? You can have all the knowledge and all the resources, but if you just keep sitting around and not taking that action, there's just no way to become successful. So have the combination. And once you do that, you're limitless. Cool. There you have it. Well, thanks for your time, Mel. I will turn off my Instagram live now, but really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All the links mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. The link is also included in the show notes. And we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word to more high income earners on how they too can maximize both their time and money. Also, if you still haven't joined our high income earners Facebook group, you are missing out on high income earners community where we help each other reach our own version of fire.